It was great, actually, to have Jen up the front speaking um, this morning about her work at Ivy Bridge, and it actually set the scene perfectly. She didn't know, she had no idea, so Ben, you must tell her. She set the scene perfectly for what we're going to talk about this morning. So she talked about these people groups coming together from completely different backgrounds, um, racially, um, socially, um, you know, language issues, everything, and her joy in seeing people come together, and as Christians, being able to help that happen. So seeing um, that, um, that integration and the fact that segregation sort of disappears in the kingdom of God. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the fruits of the Spirit, but what it means to become more like Christ. And it's all part of our sermon series that we've had for the last few weeks about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple or follower of Christ. And Galatians is where we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, and Galatians is um, it's a wonderful book. Um, and before Sheila comes and reads the passage for us, I wanted to sort of set the scene a little bit, really. So Galatians, it's a really significant book. It was not just one of Paul's earliest letters, but it's one of the very earliest documents that we have from the early church. And when you read it, you'll see that it's absolutely brimming with life. It's bubbling away with questions and problems. And even though they didn't have 2,000 years of church baggage, they actually had some very significant issues which is sort of reassuring. It shows that they were really just like we are. Now, the situation in Galatia um, was a little bit like a scenario I'm going to describe, and I'm going to pinch it from Tom Wright's book, his, his Paul for Everyone. And he does, I'm going to do a quick plug for Tom Wright, because if you want to get into some books of the Bible, his For Everyone series are really great. They're really insightful. They're very easy to read. Um, and this one is particularly on Galatians. And he uses this sort of image. He says, imagine you're in South Africa in 1970s. Now, I'm not sure we've got any any South Africans. No, we did at 9 o'clock, but not now. Um, And you're an architect. So imagine you're an architect, and you have designed a beautiful new building. It's going to be a building with one meeting room and one front door. And you're really excited about your design. And then you're called away on urgent business. So some other architects come in. And they decide they're not quite so sure about your design. It doesn't quite fit the context. So they redesign your building, and they design it with two meeting rooms and two front doors, a door for whites and a door for blacks. And the people in the town feel a little bit relieved. This is a little bit more what they're used to. It's a bit more normal. Perhaps the other design was actually a bit too radical for them anyway. Now imagine you're in Galatia in Turkey, 2,000 years earlier. You live in a town where there's a significant number of Jews. They have their own laws, their own customs, their very significant ways of doing things. And then there's the Gentiles, and there's a big proportion of the population of the Gentiles. They worship their own gods, their own goddesses, and sometimes um, the Roman emperor too. And so Paul travels into this melting pot of a city, and he brings the good news of Jesus Christ. And the unique and radical and exciting thing about this message is that it's for everyone. Just like that original design of that building in South Africa was meant to be for everyone, the message of Christ was for everyone. Everyone can worship together. No one is exempt. No one is different. Jews and Gentiles men and women, 
slaves and free people, together can worship as part of one family. There's to be no segregation, no divisions, and everyone is welcome. And together, this new group are going to be known as God's people. And many people in Galatia, they embrace this message and they turn to Christ. And this new church started to form with Jews and Gentiles. And Paul left. He went on to the next town. And some other teachers came in and they looked at this new church and they felt a little bit uncomfortable with what was happening. And they decided that they weren't quite ready for this. And so they started teaching that Jews and Gentiles couldn't mix together that they were too different, their backgrounds were too different, they had different morality, different standards. And so they said that the only way that they could mix together was if Gentile Christians became Jewish first, by being circumcised, by taking on some of the Jewish laws. And then Paul gets to hear about it. And if you read Galatians, he's quite, he's quite blunt and he's actually quite rude, um, and he's really quite angry about what's happening. He realizes this is absolutely going to destroy this new church of Christ. This is not the unity that he's been preaching and that the gospel of Christ brings. And he knows that he needs to put a stop to it quite early on. So as Sheila comes to read, um, I'd love you to keep this in your mindset. So as Sheila reads this passage in Galatians 5, um, and the page number should come up on the screen, um, keep in mind that this is the context to which Paul is writing into So Galatians 5, verses 1 to 6, and then 13 to 25. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither the circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. I'm just going to pray before we get into the passage. Father God, thank you for your word to us. Uh, We thank you for some beautiful words here, but also some very difficult and challenging words. We pray that you would um, open our ears and our hearts and our minds to hear what you'd have to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to open the passage in front of you, you might find that helpful. Um, Page 1171 and 72. And the first bit that Sheila read to us sort of really sets um, the context, it sets the scene for us. Um, We have uh, the church, these poor Gentile Christians that um, are now having to, they're encouraged to be circumcised um, and uh, to obey the Jewish law. Um, But we're really going to focus on the second part of the passage that um, Sheila read to us um, from verse 13 onwards. And Paul wants to make it really clear that these people are free. He says, Christ has set us free. You are free. He wants the Galatian Christians to know that when they came to Christ, through his death and resurrection, they became free people, free to live the lives that God wanted them to live, free to be human in the way that God designed them to be, which is a little bit um, what Jez talked about last week. They're free from the expectations of society, free from segregation, and they were also free from having to follow this set of rules and regulations. But, he says, you're not free to live any way you want. And it's quite an interesting list, isn't it, that poor Sheila had to read out in verses 19 to 21. And it's a really interesting list um, there of all the the sins that are listed. There's a whole mixture, and some of them are probably the way that some of the Gentiles might have been living previously, but there's also quite a lot about relationships, um, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. And I think what Paul's really trying to say to them is that stuff's actually all going on in the church as well at the moment. That's not good. all these different ways of living, this is not how you're meant to live. He says you're not free to trample over each other. You're not free to live as though there are no consequences. You're not free to squabble each with each other and bring the church of Christ into disrepute. If we live like this, this isn't going to bring the kingdom to those who need to hear it. So what Paul wants to show them, and he wants to show us, and what we're going to think about today is that there is a better way of living. There's the way that God has designed us to live as human beings. This is the how to be fully human. It's the way that we live as free people. And in verse 16, Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. And we're going to unpack what this means. 
but I find it a little bit helpful to think about it this way. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard about the five love languages. Um, I don't think any of them are meant to be more important than any of the others, but one of mine is quality time. It means I like being with people. So even though I love it when my children tidy the house, or I love it when my husband cooks me a delicious meal, when they choose to spend time with me, that's when I feel really loved by them. Now, God also shows his love to us in so many different ways. But one of the God, ways God delights in showing his love to us is by being with us. And he just demonstrated that physically when he came into our world um, and was born into our world as Jesus. But then the Old Testament spoke about another promise in Joel chapter 2, and it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This was the promise of God's personal presence with his people, not just in the bodily form of Christ for those few years, but forever by his spirit. Now, if you've ever been a little bit unsure about the Holy Spirit, because sometimes Father and Son are sometimes a little bit more tangible for us, but I think about the Holy Spirit this way. He's the one who brings the color, the creativity, the life and the vibrancy of God into our lives. It's the Spirit who makes the Father and Son real to us. He is the one who is beautifully described as fire, wind, dove, and water, but also described as the personal presence of God in the world and in our lives. Everything personal we know about God, we know about because of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says this is why outward signs such as law-keeping or circumcision is no longer needed because God has come to be with us and change us by his very presence, by being with us. The Old Testament promised that God would circumcise our hearts so that we might love him with all our hearts and souls and live. And in his letters, Paul explains that this circumcision of the heart was by the Spirit not by the Jewish law. So in essence, it's like God's law is, is etched on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the presence of God in the world, the Spirit of God, would come and live within his people, and his Spirit, not the law, would change us. It's a little like this. If we have parents or we have children, we know that there's nothing we can do to stop our children slowly becoming more like us and us slowly becoming more like our parents. Maybe it's our hair color, maybe it's our eyes, um, maybe it's our build, um, our facial expressions, or our characteristics. We naturally just end up looking quite like each other. And it's the same when the Holy Spirit is at work within us. We just start looking a bit more like our Heavenly Father. So what does this looking like look like? Well, Exodus 34 tells us what God is like. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. God compassionate, gracious, patient, faithful, loving. It's a little bit like a list that Sheila's just read out to us. It's a little bit like 
the fruits of the Spirit. And these are God's qualities. And what I want us to think about today is that the fruits of the Spirit are actually God's characteristics. They are the personal characteristics of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But also, the fruits of the Spirit are the spontaneous product of the presence of God within the heart of the people of God. The fruits of the Spirit are the spontaneous product of the presence of God within the heart of the people of God. Essentially, we will naturally become like him when we are with him. So change in our lives doesn't come for those external factors, but it's the spirit of Christ who transforms us from within. And Paul is saying here, he lists them because he's saying, if you live as a Christian, as a spirit-filled life, the other way of living is completely incompatible. You can't live by law or by flesh because it just doesn't go with living a spirit-filled life. It's one or the other. And so we're going to spend a few moments thinking about the fruit of the Spirit and what this means. But before we do, I think it's really important that we think, we realize that the fruits listed in Galatians are not an exhaustive list. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about the fruits of the Spirit, I think of Galatians and I reel off those few. Um, but there are actually a lot more. Um, there's more characteristics of God and there's more characteristics can, that can be displayed in our own lives. So when we think about the fruits of the Spirit, we have to include all of these as well. So Colossians 3, um, I'll read them from there, then I can, there we go. Colossians 3, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, forgiveness, love, unity. From Romans 12, Love, devotion, honor, passion, service, hope, patience, faithfulness, generosity, hospitality. From 2 Corinthians 6, purity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. And Ephesians 4, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with each other in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I'm sure there's more. I'm sure as we go through the Bible, there'll be more. But when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, we have to include that lot as well. And I, that's a huge, beautiful number of characteristics um, that we can think about. So I want us to think about four things from the passage um, in Galatians and particularly what it means when we think about the fruit of the Spirit developing in our lives. Now firstly, life in the Spirit is for the community. Now our individualism in the West doesn't really help us and I don't know about you but when I've thought about the fruit of the Spirit, I've thought, oh well how am I getting on with my love and my joy and my patience, which is definitely needed. Um, and how often have you read this list and perhaps felt a bit guilty that you're not doing very well in these things yourself? But when Paul wrote this list, he didn't write this letter to an individual. He wrote this letter to a community. He wrote it to a community of believers. And when Paul wrote here in Galatians and in so many of his other letters, he wrote 
um, about the people of God being a whole thing. And we've thought about some of them this term already. We've, he's talked about us as a body, as a temple, as a family. So when we come to Christ, we come, become part of a connected group of people. No, no longer because we're a nation like the Jews were, but because of what Christ has done in our lives. So Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing about the fruits of the Spirit to a church community. So these fruits aren't so much about our own individual lives, although they are too, but actually they're about the lives of our community together. So that's firstly, life in the Spirit is all about community. And then secondly, life in the Spirit is active. Now, although these fruits should naturally occur in our lives and in the lives of our community uh, when we're walking in step with the Spirit, Paul doesn't take it for granted. He says we're to make choices, that we, seek to grow, we have to seek to grow in these things, that we're to be active. And if we look in that passage over and over again, he keeps using these phrases. In verse 16, he says, live by the Spirit. In verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Literally means walking in the Spirit's footsteps. Now in Judaism, walking meant one's whole way of life. So in Deuteronomy 30, it says, love the Lord your God by walking in his ways. It means a life continuously under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But although the Spirit is our constant companion, we make choices to walk with him. So firstly, life in the Spirit is about being part of a community. Secondly, life in the Spirit is an active choice that we make. And then thirdly, life in the Spirit is primarily about the freedom to love. I don't know whether you noticed what the uh, characteristic is at the beginning of verse 22, and it was mentioned in all the other passages. It's love. And what Paul wants us to hear is this. God's primary characteristic is love. And so for us, with the freedom of knowing Christ Jesus, it's the most wonderful thing of all. We have freedom to love. And he sums it up in verse 14 when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that command was embedded in Jewish law, but Jesus also used it when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it was embedded in Jewish law. Jesus spoke about it. But even more importantly, love is the essence of who God is. And he expressed it most powerfully when he, when he sent Jesus to us. In John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. And it's out of this act of love of God that everything else flows. So that love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to pour that out to others and our world around us. And the thing about love is that we actually can't love on our own. Love is the opposite of being self-centered. It naturally looks outwards to others. You have to be able to love another. So love should ultimately end all divisions. And it's out of love that all the other fruits of the Spirit flow. So when you look at the list of the fruits, a lot of them are to do with the active and the passive sides of love. Patience, kindness, goodness, 
This is either hanging in there or doing good things for other people because of our love for them. And Christ is our, our example of that in the way that he lived and the way that he died for us and how he did this in humility. So another of the characteristics that we are to emulate Christ in his humility. And when we look at the extravagant act of love, then our lives should be full of that joy and peace, not because of our circumstances, but because of what Christ has done. And then one of the other characteristics to mention is faithfulness. And in this passage, you often think about my own faithfulness, but actually it merely means faithfully walking on, in God's ways. It means hanging on to God's faithfulness and his love for us. It's about God, it's not about us. So life in the Spirit is about community, it's to be active, it's about freedom to love. And fourthly, life in the Spirit allows us to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like to the world around us. So as we live in this power of the Spirit, we can actually provide a radical alternative to the way that life can be lived to the world around us. When we live with the Spirit, we reveal the beautiful character of God. And the Holy Spirit reproduces in us the beautiful characteristics of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we should look different because we'll be spirit people. So it means that when we fail, as we do, we show the world how we help restore each other with love and with gentleness. It means when we're broken, we help carry, carry each other's burdens with patience and with long-suffering. It means when there's disunity, we walk with the Spirit and it produces love and kindness and ultimately brings unity in our lives. And love is to be intensely practical. It's to make a difference in the world in very practical ways. Love brings the Spirit's transforming kindness and gentleness into situations of pain. Love brings unity and harmony into places of discord. And this love is needed by the most vulnerable in society, but it's also needed in the media, in politics, in business, in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our families, everywhere that we tread. And as we walk in the footsteps of the Spirit, we'll draw others to Jesus, we'll draw others into his kingdom. So those are the four things I want us to think about this morning. And I think as we look at that, you might just be able to get a glimpse of Paul's vision and why he was so ruthless in what he said to the Galatians. I believe that Paul saw God's vision for the world and I think he thought something like this. Just imagine if all Christians together in all communities everywhere in the world really lived like this. Really with the freedom to love. If God's people live this way, They'll draw others to know God. They'll bring King God's kingdom here on earth and they'll transform lives. No wonder Paul was so passionate about us keeping in step with the Spirit of God. And I'm really grateful to Paul that he was really passionate about this. And I believe that we really need his vision too, that we will experience God's empowering presence in our lives by his Spirit so that we become more like Christ Jesus and that we live out our faith in the world too. We're to be spirit people. 
And the evidence for this is the beautiful fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And I think it's pretty incredible that God produces in us those beautiful characteristics that are his. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about us being nice people. It's not pretending that all is well, well with the world when it obviously isn't all well. But it's about God's spirit changing us so that we can have a radical effect on our world, so we can bring God's kingdom on earth here. What an incredible message to our world this message is. And actually, if this is about us as a community, what an incredible gift to our world the church can be. So just before we come and spend some time in worship together, I want us to just think quietly through a couple of things. Although the fruit of the Spirit are beautiful, developing them shouldn't be our goal. It should be Christ Jesus is our goal and wanting to know him more. Otherwise, it's wanting, like wanting to look like our parents but not actually wanting to be with them or know them, which would be a little odd. So firstly, is there a longing in our hearts to know Christ Jesus more? But the Holy Spirit does give us a longing for the fruit, for God's character. So it is okay to ask God to help us to be more patient and more kind and more loving. But remember, the list wasn't written for us as individuals. It's written for us as a community. So we should pray these things for ourselves as a church here, but also as a church worldwide, so that we can bring change and hope to our world. And how do we help each other walk with the Spirit? What might it look like in our lives? How do we encourage each other? On Sundays, as we meet up during the week, as we pray for each other, as we pray for each other, as we meet over coffee, as we text or WhatsApp each other during the week. What might living like this look like for you this week? How would walking with the Spirit impact your relationships? your home life, your work, your interactions with your neighbours or friends? And what about how we introduce our church community to those around us? And then finally, do we have a longing to be more in step with the Holy Spirit? And if you do, I really encourage you to pray the oldest of those prayers. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you.